How are you doing today? Welcome. Good to see you guys. Come on, this is awesome. What an awesome day to be here. Listen, as you know, I've never one time claimed to be a perfect man, husband, father, friend, not a perfect pastor. But if people are asking you about your pastor, you, he, you can say he does have holes in his hands. I don't know if you can see that on the front row. You can see it. It, it doesn't look as cool as it did on Tuesday, but there is a, a, a legitimate wound on my hand here. And no, it wasn't from crucifixion. I was uh, walking into the office, getting up to the office on Tuesday morning, and it was icy. And I put my left heel on the curb and uh, whoop, went all haywire. I cut my hand, uh, hit my knee. I was bleeding. And so I came into the office and I was covered in blood. And, and it was awesome. The staff were obviously heartbroken moved with compassion. And they, I mean, amongst the tears, I was able to actually calm them and then receive some remedial care. Uh, <laughs> and then of course, like any good leader, I made sure everyone felt the appropriate and proper amount of sympathy for me as I am doing now, giving you an opportunity to sympathize with my afflictions, right? Yes, thank you. No, hold your tears, hold, hold the... So the thing is, how, how, you remember, have you fallen recently? Anybody here that's an adult, have you like had a fall? It's not the same as an adult as it is when you're a kid. When you're a kid and you fall, it's kind of fun. You know what I mean? You're like, I fell. Hey, dad, look at my skinny. knee. Oh, it's like a game. When you fall as an adult, it's a catastrophe. <laughs> because I'm six foot, I'm almost, my wife is not in here. I'm six foot three. She'll tell you I'm six foot two and three quarters. I don't know why she cares that much about it, but six foot three, some might even say a little taller than that, but not people that have a measuring tape. But anyways, when I fall, that's, a, that's like a tree falling. You know what I mean? And uh, have you ever seen your parent fall? Like your parent, not, not, not right now for some of you, your parents um, wouldn't fall, but you know what I mean? Like when you're a kid and you watch your parents fall. I remember one time uh, we were camping and that was bad enough, but my mom was actually coming out of the trailer and however it was set up, the, the little step down, the metal step down was like three feet above the ground. And she had some food or something that she was bringing out. And she stepped down and completely slipped and went totally horizontal and hit her head on the step. And all of us kids were horrified. I mean, we were sad for my mom, but more so we were worried my dad was going to have to raise us himself. <laughs> right? So I was like, mom, are you okay? Thank God. And she's like, wow, I appreciate you guys love me so much. We're like, well, and the dad thing, you know. <laughs> my dad, his idea of gourmet food is sloppy joes, right? How many dads in the room, you know? This, I've perfected the art of having selective uh, uh, lack of knowledge. So I've tried to keep myself highly uneducated in the kitchen and with laundry. Because if you don't know, you can't do it, right? <laughs> so when I cook food for the kids or our family, it's completely inedible. Therefore, they don't want me to. And it's like, mom, will you make us something good to eat? I'm like, babe, I would, but I don't, I don't know, right? So... Anyways, what does that have to do with the message today? Nothing. I'm just having fun. You doing good? Just waking you up a little bit. Well, guys, I am really excited to be here today. Uh, really excited about this series that we're in called Peculiar People. And we're talking about the book of Acts. We've been studying through the book of Acts. Last week, we talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, hopefully you got a lot out of that message. I, I think I preached twice as long as I should have. And so it was, you got double right on Sunday, and, and, I, and uh, hopefully you're okay with that. But um, today we're continuing in this series, and this, this series is really about that we are still in this age of the church, age of the Holy Spirit, the same story 
that began or that started in the book of Acts is carrying on right into this day and age. And we, as followers of Jesus, we as the body of Christ, as the church, are still playing a role and we're still a part of this. Now, the guy that wrote the book of Acts was a man named Luke. And he also wrote the gospel of Luke. He very creatively titled it with his own name. And so he had the book of Luke, right? The gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And it's a two-part document um, talking about what Jesus did and what Jesus started. And then the book of Acts is the continuation of that. Luke was actually a traveling companion of of a man named Paul. The apostle Paul is the guy that traveled around in missionary journeys and really uh, is responsible for writing a lot of the New Testament. And Luke was a contemporary of Paul. So he had some eyewitness uh, uh, accounts of what takes place in the book of Acts. But Luke gives us a clue about this book and this document that he writes in Acts chapter one, when he says, oh, Theophilus, this is the person he's writing to, in my first book, I told you everything Jesus began to do and to teach. Now that word began is core. It's critical for us to understand the book of Acts because he's linking them. And when you say the word began, that implies that there's going to be a finishing, right? A a completion or a continuation. And so Luke says, hey, uh, Jesus began something. He began to do something and and he began to teach something. And now uh, I'm giving you this because this is the aftermath. So the book of Acts is the aftermath. It's the, the continuation. Now, as I've already said, we are still living in the same age. And so therefore we as the church are still continuing the work that Jesus began. We are still continuing the ministry that Jesus started. What did Jesus do? He taught about the kingdom of God. He said, everybody's welcome in God's kingdom, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, right? Whether you're white, you're black, you're rich, you're poor, everybody's welcome, male or female. Come on, all tribes, all nations, everybody's welcome. That's good. I'm happy about that. I don't know about anybody else here today, but Jesus began to teach the kingdom and invite people in. Jesus uh, also did something fairly important. He died on the cross for our sins and he was raised from the dead. And so, Luke is saying in the beginning of Acts, this is what Jesus started and we are continuing it. So when we study the book of Acts, that's what we're studying, this continuation. And the reason it's called peculiar people is because we are called to be different. As a follower of Jesus, you are called to be different than the world around you, okay? There should be a a mark, something in uh, your life that transforms you and changes you from the person you were into a person that's more like Jesus as we come to know him, okay? So we're talking about that in this series, and uh, I'm excited about this. But today we're going to talk about uh, uh, this word revolution. Say it with me, revolution. Revolution. Because the resurrection of Jesus led to a revelation, and this began a revolution. Now let me define revolution here for you. In uh, uh, You can put it up on the screen there. The word revolution means this. Number one, a sudden complete or marked change in something. How many of you have ever had a revolution in your life, good or bad? You were going along, you're doing your thing, like me uh, walking into the office on Tuesday, and I had a revolution, right? Everything was different. I forgot to tell you, but when I was actually, this was happening, um, I wasn't all by myself. I actually had my AirPods in, and I was talking to a friend on the phone, (laughs) Uh, a pastor in Bend, and he was excited about some things that were happening at their church. And so he's talking on and on and on. And, and uh, I have this event, I fall, I crush my hand and, and I'm laying there wounded, you know, derelict. And uh, my, my friend is just, just chattering. He's speaking in tongues. He's just chattering on and on and on. And I go, Ben, 
I fell. <laughs> no response. He keeps going. Ben, I fell. And he keeps going on and on and on. Ben, I fell. You know, what? I fell on the ice. He just had no compassion. He started laughing at me. You what? <laughs> that's good friend, isn't it? Uh, I fell on the ice. And then, I mean, that's really not the worst part, though. The worst part is I actually had a triple Americano with cream from BlackRock. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, I had that triple, and it all got spilled out on the rocks of injustice. Anyways. A sudden, complete, or marked change in something. Number two, revolution means an overthrow or repudiation and the thorough replacement of an established government or political system by the people governed. A revolution is a change. It's an overthrow of the existing systems and structures. Now, when the church was birthed, they didn't rebel against the government. They didn't try to overthrow Rome. Some of the disciples thought that's what they were going to do, but that's not what Jesus was doing. He was bringing a new kingdom, uh, uh, ushering in a new kingdom that would exist here on the same planet, not to overthrow human and political governments, but to tra transform the world at a much deeper level, the level of the heart, and to transform people as individuals and welcome them into this new kingdom. But there was an absolute revolution following in the aftermath of everything Jesus began to do and teach, the aftermath of the resurrection and the aftermath of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we pick up our story today. We're going to read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now, this takes place after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Uh, Peter has, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're preaching the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. It's a powerful revival. And then we see a description of this brand new community, this brand new church. And I want you to remember that we're not reading a historical document for us to go, wow, those people then did X, Y, Z. We are reading a description of that which we are to be a part of, that which we are the continuation of. Okay, get that? So we're going to read this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Father, we just welcome you in this place today. I pray, God, as we hear your word, that, Lord, we would not close our hearts, close our, our ears, close our, our eyes, but we would receive open-handedly, open-heartedly, we'd receive all that you want to deposit in us today. And God, we don't plan to just get a message, just get a, a sermon and then just leave and, and be the same. We, we want to respond in obedience and walk out this thing that you're communicating to us today. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We worship you today. We honor you and what you want to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. What we see here in the book of Acts is a dramatic shift. It's this revolution, this new community that's birthed out of these events that have taken place that is dramatically different from everything that has come before. The way that they're living, this, this new mentality of life and the sharing of their possessions and this daily worship, it's like this brand new thing that shows up uh, on planet Earth. This is what the church is meant to be like. 
But I want to stop for a second before we go through and teach this scripture and unpack it. What I want to talk about is that, that what, one of the things we see in the, the New Testament church that I believe is absent, at least largely, in the Christianity of the West, the Western world, is this idea that when something happens, when Jesus shows up in your life, there's actually uh, something actually happens after that. There's an activity. There are actions that follow in the footsteps of what Jesus does in your life. Now, let me explain what I mean here. We have become very accustomed to adopt a highly intellectualized version of what it means to be a Christian. And what that means is that we agree with the abstract philosophical or theological truth claims of the Christian faith. Things like, yes, there's a God. Yes, his son is Jesus. Yes, Jesus died on the cross and he loves me. I heard it in Sunday school, right? I sang the song. It's true. Okay. Uh, I believe that. But then we have this cognitive dissonance, right? This, this breakdown in our mind where what we think and what we believe is very different from what we actually live out and do. And here's where the gospel sort of gets muddled in the West is where people go, yeah, I agree that there's a God. I agree that Jesus loves me. I sing that song. I agree that he died for my sins. And um, wait, there's like these things in the Bible that are like commands. Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with commands. I don't know if I'm really ready to take that step. Well, that's your truth, but my truth is a little bit different. And we get this muddled thing where what we think and believe or what we claim to think and believe doesn't ever really show up in the area of our activity. And yet we don't see that in the New Testament. What we see is you have these people, they're going along, they're walking into their office, drinking their coffee, talking to their pastor friend, and boom, they have a revolution. Boom, there's a marked change. They encounter the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And from that moment forward, it changes everything about how they live and what they do. Anybody awake today? There is a resurrection there is a revelation and then there is a revolution. And yet what we observe in the West is oftentimes there is a revelation, but there's no revolution. And that's a problem, isn't it? And it's funny to me because I imagine that the rest of the world where Christianity is exploding at a rapid rate, if you go to Africa, if you go to South America, if you go to Brazil, let me just tell you, you're gonna find some people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that don't have as much money as you and I, don't have as much training as you and I, and yet are absolutely kicking the doors of hell down in their communities and doing the things that we see take place in the book of Acts. I'm preaching today. No, I haven't had any red meat yet. But I will after, okay? After. This is pre-red meat, anger coming out. No, I'm just teasing. But I imagine they must look at us in the West and be like, you have all the resources, you have all of the training. You have all of the opportunity. And yet we are stuck at this level of actually obeying and walking out and living out the commands of Christ. Where is the revolution? Now, this might seem like a strange message, but I would put this forward to you today that when the world is upside down, the thing that is actually sensical, the thing that is actually right side up appears to be strange. And I think what would appear to be strange to us in our modern day Christianity is a Christian who is fully activated by the Holy Spirit, who is living in this similar way to these people that we read about in the book of Acts, that would appear so strange. You see, when people, when I talk to people in the community, when I talk to people, even other Christians, and they're like, well, you like, you go to church like every week? Oh, 
That sounds exhausting. <laughs> well, I mean, I, go, I watch Netflix every day too. I mean, <laughs> like I look like a weirdo. I was on this coaching call with some pastors at this church up in, up in the Seattle area. And I was, we were laughing because I said, what we're doing right now on this Zoom call, there's a bunch of people, a bunch of this church staff, and I, they're asking me questions and I'm asking them questions and we're talking. I'm like, we're weird. Other people don't do this. This isn't a normal thing. Like we're, we're like these Christian like planners and pastors and we're talking about the kingdom of God and like using these tools to start churches and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, we're so, we're like so weird. We're so peculiar, okay? Why am I so passionate and consumed with the, the ministry of the gospel, wanting to get people to know Jesus and follow Jesus as a disciple? It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm an activated Christian. And maybe what people would look at as what a pastor is, is maybe what the body of Christ should all look like. I'm not a Jedi, I'm a stormtrooper, and so are you. You know what I mean? Like we're all supposed to be part of this movement, this revolution. And so it looks so weird, but here's where it breaks down. It's in this level of obedience that we're called to follow Jesus. Now here's what, it, here's what happens. It's very, di very different for somebody to go, here's the Google map. Here's where, you, here's where you are. Here's where you want to be. Here's, the, here's how you would get there when you're ready or when it suits you to take that journey. It's very different to have the map and know how to get from point A to point B than to have somebody say, here, I'm going to get in my car. You get in your car and you follow me. Right? See what I'm saying? It's very different. And what we have done is we've translated the message of Jesus incorrectly. We've said, oh, I read the Bible, I go to church, I get the map, and when I feel ready, when I feel like it suits me, when my 401k is at that place, that's when I'll respond to the commands of Christ. When my marriage, when my kids, when my job, when X, Y, Z external factors fall into place, I will respond internally to Christ. My friends, that's incorrect. Jesus didn't say, I wanna give you the map and when you're ready, follow. He said, hey, I'm getting in the car, get in yours and keep up. Meaning when Jesus goes, when he leads us by his Holy Spirit, now dwelling on the inside of us, come on, when he leads us, we are actually expected to go. Which means when you hear a message about, hey, maybe you should be part of a joy group, it's not like, ah, like someday I should be part of Christian community if I'm a follower of Jesus. No. When Pastor Jake, when, when somebody gets up and speaks and talks about biblical generosity, talks about discipleship, talks about sharing your faith, talks about growing spiritually and reading the Bible, talks about being a more loving husband, wife, or parent. When, when we talk about these things, we're not trying to let these words just be words that we can all enjoy. There's something a bit gro grotesque about that if you think about it. It's as if we have become these spiritual wine tasters who savor the flavor. <laughs> we savor the experience and yet we do not live it out. And that's not what we see in the book of Acts. What we see in the book of Acts is a community of people that enter into this amazing revolution in response to the commands of Christ. And I want to go through a couple of the categories that I believe we see biblically, we see in this scripture passage that we are also to give ourselves to in actuality, in our actions. Not just receiving the word, not just receiving it intellectually, but living it out in the everyday. Number one, we see that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the question is, what is the apostles' teaching? Well, this is one of those things that sounds really fancy, but it's really not. It's actually pretty simple. The apostles were teaching what Jesus taught them. 
when you go back into the, the New Testament, when you go into the Gospels and Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, a new commandment I give to you, right? Love one another as I have loved you. I want you to go back 2,000 years, get in your time machine. Everybody's wearing bathrobes because that's what people wore back then, right? I've seen Christian movies. And you're sitting in this primitive place and here's Peter. He has an awesome beard, of course. And he's, he's you know, rough hands. He's a fisherman and he's gathered around and there's eight or 10 of you in this dim lit candle lit or oil lamp lit room. And he says, hey, I want to tell you what, what, what the Lord said. He, he told us that we should love each other. What does that look like for you? You know, and, and then pick the person, Ian, what does that look like for you? They didn't have joy groups. They had Jerusalem groups, very close, you know, very similar. What is the apostles teaching? It is the teachings of Jesus, the commands of Jesus. Like when Jesus was ascending to heaven and he told his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the apostles' teaching. And it's what we call the New Testament because Jesus' apostles, including the apostle Paul, whom Jesus himself called, they wrote some interesting letters, like one called Romans and one called Ephesians, right? They're weird names, Colossians. They're written to churches. This is what the apostles were teaching. So what were these Christians devoted to? They were devoted to the teachings of Jesus, the gospel, the resurrection. And they were not just partakers in a limited way, it says they were devoted. So here's my challenge for you. Are you devoted to the study of God's word, the commands of Christ, the study of the resurrection? Are you devoted to the teaching of our faith? Are you devoted or are you simply kind of a, a you know, a Sunday only type person? Now, look, I don't want to devalue coming to church on Sunday. That's a great thing to do, but I would call it a great first step. But the reality is you can't grow spiritually in the way that God wants you to grow unless you have a relationship with God through his word on a daily basis. You can't grow in God's word unless there is the shared communion and fellowship. Joe, what do you think about this passage, right? I love Joe. His theology is perfect. You know, it's just <laughs> without flaw, right? Just like mine. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Except for when we disagree. That's where he's messed up, you know, but... But there's something about getting with other believers in fellowship and community and going over, this is what our faith is. Do you know why potentially we feel drained, why you feel drained, why it's hard to get sort of your spiritual muscle kind of engaged? It's because you're undernourished. Think about it. When you, when you talk about physical exercise, you know, sometimes I like to do intermittent fasting and those are not fun workouts. When you're on the fast, you're like, I'm undernourished. I've never been called undernourished in my life. Most people would tend to think of me as a bit overnourished uh, historically. <laughs> devoted to the apostles' teaching. And so here's the application. We need to be devoted to God's word. Sunday's not enough. This can't be the whole story for you. That, sure, the messages that get preached, the different speakers, the things that I bring to you the, when we open up the word together, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing, but it's not your whole faith devoted daily to, to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. Number two, we see that they were a revolution in this way. They were a true community, a real community. Now, again, I don't want to pick on Sundays, and I'll stop picking on Sundays, but Sunday is the shallow end of the pool. Now, if you're like brand new and you're like, hey, I just came for like the first time. I feel like you're jumping down my throat. I'm not talking to you. But there are, again, we have this sort of culture of like, well, you know, I go to this church because I like the worship and I like the preaching here. And the, this church is really good in the uh, social justice area. And so when I need to be a little bit more woke, I go to that one, you know. <laughs> you know what? There are some absolutely phenomenal churches 
in Eugene and Springfield. In fact, I, I don't, if, if I were you, I would seriously pray about some of these other churches because they're amazing. And I don't say that lightheartedly. I'm serious. There are some incredible pastors, leaders, people of God serving some wonderful, incredible, amazing churches. But when we look at churches and we think about being at a church, we don't, we don't church hop or church shop. We find the family that God has planted us in. And let me throw out this outdated, outmoded, old, old school word, loyalty. When God plants you, there needs to be loyalty. So it means when God puts you in a family, you don't just ditch it when things don't go perfectly well. Contrary to what you may believe, Bethany and I, we do actually at times, sometimes argue. And sometimes I'm right and she's wrong. And sometimes, hasn't happened yet, but we're hoping someday. Other times, and probably more frequently, I'm wrong and she's right. But you know what we don't do? You offended me and I'm finding another marriage. Some people do that with marriage. Uh, but most of us would go, well, no, I mean, like, you got to work some stuff out. Why? Because you are family. When my kids don't perfectly obey all, you know, everything that I want them to do from moment to moment, I don't immediately abandon them to whatever wolf is at the door that wants to take them down. I'm still going to protect them even when they're in disobedience. Why? Because of loyalty, because we're family. And yet with church, why have we become so much like mercenaries? A mercenary is a person that fights for pay, Right? A mercenary is someone who is committed as long as, the commi as long as whatever they wanted their needs to be met, whether that's financial or whatever, gets met. And many people think about church like this, and this is wrong. When you look into the book of Acts, you see they were a true community. There is the body of Christ. There was a, a connection and things got hard, but they didn't immediately leave. It wasn't like they just showed up at the temple to worship on Sundays. It says daily they met together. There was a shared life. This is what the Christian faith should look like, more like a family, a true community, not something we just leave. Now listen, I want to I wanna say something that you might find to be a bit provocative. You're like, yeah, everything you say is a little provocative. If you can't be a full disciple of Jesus or this church, if Joy Church is not your family, if God has not planted you here and you can't fully invest in all ways as a disciple, please ask the Holy Spirit to take you to the place, the church, that local expression of God's, of the body of Christ here in our area that you can and you would have my blessing. Don't you want us at Joy Church, Pastor Jake? Absolutely. I want everybody at Joy Church. I don't like it when people leave our church. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> Actually, sometimes people leave and it hurts their feelings and it makes me feel good. <laughs> Just kidding. Totally joking. That's not true. No, I don't want people to leave. I actually, it hurts me when, when there's a problem or somebody leaves. But you know what? If somebody leaves because they're finding the place they can be a disciple of Jesus, that's what we want. Why? Because I'm a Christian and I'm called to make disciples, not build a church. Jesus builds the church. But the challenge for us as disciples is, am I rooted in real community, real family, like this community that we see here? Okay, number three, they were also a worshiping community. You know, Joy Church, from the very start, we said we want to be a church that is directed and sustained by the presence of God. Not a place that is built on strategy, clever ideas, skinny jeans, great hair, or extreme physical handsomeness. We didn't want to be built. <laughs> if you don't know me, I'm, I'm kidding, okay? We didn't want to be built on any, anything other than a desperate, 
heart for God to be in and around and through everything that we do. You know, we're, we're in the middle of our building project and that's an, that was a stupid leadership decision. I don't know why you guys let me lead this church. We don't have enough money for it. We didn't, we still don't. And yet God still keeps providing and leading us forward. And we're going to be there in July or August, right? But why are we even in this situation? Because we're directed and sustained by the spirit of God. We're not led by that which is the right strategy. Do we talk about strategy? Do we try to be smart in the things that we do? Yes. But we are about the presence of God. We are about uh, being a worshiping church. We are about being a church of prayer, that we believe that God is not our last resort. He's our first response. We don't treat uh, spirituality as like the thing that we turn to after all the natural things are exhausted. No, we, we are, are here to worship God. And my heart cry, my passion for you is that we would live and embody this mission statement that we would love God, love people and make disciples. And if you don't do uh, the first two, you can't do the third one. But really there has to be a deep passion uh, on the inside of us that we love God. Let me just tell you the reason that I have a, a passionate Christian faith is not because I, I understand the Bible uh, and it's not because I feel like guilty about uh, being a Christian. It's because God did something in my life and he arrested me as a young man. And I remember that night when I laid on the foot of a bed and I wept and cried because of knowing I was a sinner. And as Jesus saved me and, he, and I, was, I was redeemed, that I came alive to a new life and I began to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus. And there was something real about my faith and it's about love and a deep passion for God. And that's what I want for each and every one of you to have. And what we see in this community is that they were a worshiping community, daily meeting together, worshiping God. Come on, we need to be known and marked as a church of people that love God so much and that love people so much. And that's going to lead to effective ministry. Number four, they were a community of joy and generosity. We see that they were sharing all things. They were helping each other. Now, a lot of people have tried to eisegete, meaning read things from the future into this passage and say, oh, look, they were socialists. No, socialism wasn't a thing yet, okay? That came along later. And then others will say, no, oh, Christians were all capitalists. No, they weren't because that didn't come around either. What do we see here is not a political or a politically motivated ideology. What we see here is an ideology and an action motivated by love and compassion and necessity of the time. Okay, so be careful. We don't want to read into scripture and go, well, see, that's, we should all vote for this person because this verse says X, Y, Z. Jesus is not speaking into a modern American politics in the way you might think he is. Okay, now that's too much of a sermon. I'll have to wait. We'll put that one off for another time. What we see here, though, is people responding under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the needs that they had, and they're living out the commands of Christ to love each other. Therefore, financially, they're serving and sharing and holding all things together, and they are honoring God with their finances. Now, I want to say something uh, quickly because it's important to understand the backdrop. You have to understand where things were, where they came from, to understand what, what's going on and where they're going. All of these people right here in Acts chapter 2 are actually saved uh, redeemed now Christian, but they were Jews. They were Jewish people. They had been taught, instructed in the Torah, the law and the prophets, and their, their, their way of life and their thinking about finances and money and all of this is shaped by 
their history and by what is taught in what we would now call the Old Testament. Therefore, what we see them uh, applying, we have to assume that they were uh, connected to a biblical model of generosity. And we see some principles woven through the entire uh, Bible from old to new. And, and, and there's certain principles about finances and resources. Now, let me just, let me preface what I'm going to say next with this. As a disciple, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your entire life, including your bank account, including the presence or the absence of money. He's the provider. He's also the director, right? He's the, he's the welfare office and he's your investment banker. He wants to speak into all aspects of your financial life because that is a reflection of your heart. Come on. It, it, we, we've, again, this is that cognitive dissonance thing. We've had this thing where, no, like money isn't a part of my Christianity, my spirituality. Well, then nothing is. Jesus has all of you or none of you. Like it doesn't work. We don't get to like pick and choose that which we decide to be a disciple in. Are you with me? So let's look at a biblical model of generosity. The, the first thing that these Jews would have been really trained in and understand is the, the idea of what we call stewardship, that we are called to be good stewards or managers, to use a more modern word, good managers of the resources that we are entrusted with. So if you are given $10, act like that $10 came from God and you have a God-given responsibility not to be wasteful, slothful, buried in the sand, uh, you know, but you have a responsibility to steward it well. It is the will of God that each person in this room, that, that you would listen uh, to get the teaching, the training, the wisdom uh, that you can get and seek to get better in the way that you manage finances as an act of worship unto the Lord. One of the things that, that breaks down in this passage is that if nobody had been good with their money, no one would have anything to share with those that did not. Do you understand? So people prospering and growing in finances is a biblical thing. The idea that as a Christian, you should be poor is actually to me anti-biblical. Now, it doesn't say that if you are poor, that you're doing something wrong. That's not what it's saying. I have been poor in my life, up and down. How many of you gone on the journey? You get to experience both sides. You know what I mean? Woo, we're having a good month. That's not, this is not a good month. You know what I mean? This one is not good. But there is a, but, but since the day, uh, you know, uh, the, I remember I was always taught and, and see that it's our responsibility to be good stewards. That's, that's a biblical concept. So stewardship is, is a biblical uh, principle of generosity. Then we have the tithe. What is the tithe? The tithe means a tenth. There's a biblical practice of trusting God and returning to him the first tenth of all of the things that come, the tenth of your income, returning it to God. Bethany and I practiced this personally. We've practiced it our entire marriage and both of us practiced it since we were small children. We teach our kids, hey, if you find a dollar, because uh, they always find lots of money underneath the chairs, you know, uh, before service, like just if you need some cash, just come a little early to church and pray and just go underneath, you know, because it's loaded underneath there, you know. But uh, our kids always find money. We say, hey, make sure you remember to honor God because everything we have comes from God. So we, we trust God that if we will give and return to him the 10%, the first part, that he will bless the remainder above and beyond. And Bethany and I have practiced this our entire marriage. Again, since I was a little kid, I 100% believe it as a biblical principle because I believe it theologically, but I've also seen the faithfulness and the provision of God activated by that act of obedience in my own life. Tithing is a biblical principle. Then we go to giving. What I consider to be giving is not saying, oh, I, I gave my tithe, that 10%, and I gave. No, 
That to me is the responsibility to honor that principle. And anything above that 10% is what I consider to be giving. Okay. Because I don't look at the money that I have as it's all my money and I'll give God some. No, it's all God's money and he gets, he gives me some. That's, a, that's the shift, right? It's all under the Lordship of Jesus. Therefore, when I give above and beyond the tithe, that's me giving a free will offering and that's free to go, you know, where, where I feel directed to give it. We also see this model of sharing. What'd you learn in Sunday school today? Sharing, right? Do you know, as a Christian, you're called to share. That might seem like, well, yeah, I guess I share, but do you really share? Think about it. Do you share? Like your stuff, do you share? Do you share your tools? Do you share your stuff? Do you, do you feel like if you needed something that you could go to somebody in the community and be like, hey, I need some help? Or like, we don't really share if you think about it, you guys. What we do is we, we, we have 99% of our resources and then 1%, we don't share. We basically act like it's charity, right? It's different. So this is a challenge for us. They shared, right? They literally shared. They shared what they had. They didn't, they didn't have this mentality of it's mine. It's all mine, the Gollum mentality biblical generosity. They gave alms. This is to take care of the poor. Do you know whose responsibility it is to take care of the poor? Yours, mine, as a Christian, the giving of alms. We are called to take the blessing that God has brought into our life and share it with those who are in need. And this is a beautiful thing throughout history. One of the dear ladies in our church was speaking to me about this in between services, about how the, the Christians in the first century were, were really dramatically different than the Roman world and the pagan world, which had no regard for the weak and the disabled and the elderly and the babies that were just thrown out in the streets that were unwanted. It was Christian people that started orphanages, Christian people that started hospitals, Christian people. Why? Because they're motivated by the love of the Savior to love their fellow man. Okay? So we're called to give alms. We're called to take care of the poor. And then there's this thing called spirit-directed giving, meaning sometimes if you're living a spirit-empowered life, the Holy Spirit's going to come and tell you to give something sacrificially or whatever. He's going to give you directed, you know, this is something you need to do. Several years ago, Bethany and I were uh, uh, at church one day and there was a family that was there and we just felt the Lord, the Spirit direct us to give them a thousand dollars. And at the time that was a lot of money to us. That's still a lot of money to me, right? A thousand dollars. And uh, $1,000, we, we wrote the check, we gave it to them. And that, that was when a miracle happened. And they found out they had this surgery going. No, there was nothing like that. They were like, hey, thank you. That's awesome. We really appreciate it. And then they left. And that's the story. <laughs> so what's the deal? Well, the Holy Spirit told us to do it. So we did it. Guess what? It's not my money. It's God's money. I have open hands, Right? And I don't know what they did with that money. They might've gone to seven feathers, who knows? But the Holy Spirit told us to do it. Maybe they really made a lot, you know? No, okay. Spirit-directed giving. But the key with this is this community was under the Lordship, all of their finances under the Lordship of Jesus, okay? So that's one of the marks of this revolution. And then lastly, they were a growing community. God was adding to their fellowship daily, but it wasn't without activity. Because if you read the book of Acts, you'll see they are both a gathering community, getting together for church, but they are also a going community. They are proclaiming the goodness of God. They are telling people to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus and be baptized. They are uh, you know, working in the miraculous. This was a gathering and a going community. They were responding to the, the command of Christ to go into all the world and make disciples. They weren't just sitting around singing Kumbaya. I had to get Kumbaya on again this week. Here's the thing. True disciples make disciples. You know, it might be scary to like think about sharing your faith and 
telling people about Jesus. And, you know, I think we always think of ourselves going up to a complete stranger, but actually it might even be more scary than that. It's like the people you work with, people you go to school with, your family, maybe the person you're married to that doesn't know Christ. And you were called to live in such a way that the love and the grace, the radiance of the Holy Spirit is so upon your life that people take notice you're peculiar, but you're also called to speak. You know, we've leaned in so much to this idea, just live and people will ask you. Very few people ask me about Jesus. You know, I just saw you, Jake, and I just, there's something different about you. That never happens to me. People are like, hey, you cut me off on the belt line and now I'm going to beat you up. And then I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. Actually, what, what has to happen is I have to step out in a little bit of boldness and say, hey, how's your heart? How's your marriage? How's your spirituality? How's your life going? Well, actually, this is what's going on. Man, let's talk about that. Build relationship and invite people to experience the love of Christ. But a true disciple, again, it's not this cognitive dissonance world of like, I just hear it and I know it and I'm, when I'm ready, I'll obey it. It's, no, I hear the teachings of Jesus, the commands of Jesus, like this one, to go into the world and make disciples. And here's what I'm asking you to do now is purpose in your heart. Hey, I'm going to activate. I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to work out. I, don't, I might be embarrassed, but I'm going to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit to be a disciple maker. This is the pivot for our church. We as a church are really good. Our staff, Kyle, he's a brilliant guy. I don't know if you know that. Absolutely sharp. I love that guy. Um, our team, Judah, Mark, Becca, Bethany, you know, did I forget anybody? John's on our staff. I don't know where he's at. I pointed this way because he sits over there. We have a wonderful staff, but you know what? We don't have any more horsepower <laughs> and we don't have enough to do what God wants to do in this city. Are you following with me? The pivot is this, when every believer says, I am a disciple maker, I am called to share the gospel. I am called to, sh to share my resources to, to win people to Jesus. I am called to be spirit empowered. I am called, come on, I am called. I am called to be a disciple of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus makes disciples. Not when you're ready, not when you think you're qualified, but now because Jesus is on the move and he said, hey, I'm getting in the car. Come on, keep up with me keep up with me. And all you need to do is be willing and say, Jesus, I don't know how it's going to work, but I want, <laughs> I will follow you if you will lead me. Will you respond with that, respond to that today? Let's lift up our hands right now and let's pray. Jesus, we invite you to be our Lord, our Savior, to guide us in every way. We invite you to take us on this wonderful journey. It might scare us from time to time. It might intimidate us but we know that under the, the power of your Holy Spirit, filled with your spirit, that you said you would give us boldness to be your witnesses. You would give us the power to share our faith. I pray, God, that even supernaturally you would move this week in a dynamic way, that there would be testimonies that even come from this moment where men and women began to respond in faith and trust and say, I'm gonna talk to this person. I'm gonna talk to this coworker. I'm gonna talk to this, this person I know on my street. I'm gonna be bold because I have the spirit of God living on the inside of me. I will not be afraid of what people think. I will be afraid of what God thinks. I will not be afraid of what culture says. I will be afraid of God's word. I will have regard and fear for what he says. Lord, we are peculiar people. We are called to stand out in a world that is blending in and we don't run from the challenge. 
Lord, I pray that you would pour your love, your grace, your spirit upon each and every man and woman in this place, that we could be your hands and feet, that we could share the gospel, and that we would be forever marked as a community of people that are following you, not just in theory, but in practice, bringing the gospel to a city that desperately needs it in Jesus' name. Very quickly, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Christ, you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to start this journey. But listen, it's not enough to just to pray a prayer. Uh, it's not this belief that, that causes you to be a Christian. There's no magic beans. There's no magic prayer. The scripture says, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And the, and, and the way the New Testament writers many times talk about this is this idea, this picture of following. And it means this, Jesus died for you. He made a way for you to be right with God. And you activate that by faith and trust. But that is faith and trust that starts a journey of following. It's what we call becoming a disciple. And so today, I don't invite you to pray a prayer. I invite you to follow Jesus. I invite you to make a decision to trust him with your life, every part, and, and to begin to follow Jesus. You go, I don't know what that all entails. No, it's a journey. He's going to lead you on it. But it starts with this moment of trust and faith. And if that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. Anybody in this place? Thank you. Thank you. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want him to save me from my sins. Thank you. I want to follow him with my life. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Just pray this prayer with me. Let's all pray it together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you and know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.